welcome everybody to the Father, the Daughter, and the Holy Podcast. Join my father, Rabbi Avi Horowitz, and myself, Ayelet, as we discuss relevant and meaningful ideas and topics inspired by the weekly Torah portion. This podcast is not religiously exclusive. No matter what religion you practice, please feel free to join us as we glean timeless Torah wisdom to help us better navigate the world we live in today, or simply put, just to give us something to think about, because that's always really awesome. So let's get schmoozing. Hello, hello, everybody. We are here again for another episode of the Father, the Daughter, and the Holy Podcast. In today's episode, we're actually going to be delving deep into something that a lot of us kind of blow over or use very broad descriptions for. And we, my father and I think it would be a very useful conversation both to ourselves and, and to share with everyone else. Um, in order to gain more clarity, more understanding, broaden, broaden something which is very important. And this something would be Torah. Um, as Jews, we're always talking about the Torah and we're always referring to the Torah. And we try our best to always include Torah, live a Torah lifestyle, summer camps with Torah, uh, get togethers with Torah. Everything's always, you know, we're always flinging around the word Torah and the question that my father and I have is, well, what is Torah? What do people refer to when they're talking about Torah? What does it mean when we say, oh, live a, living a Torah lifestyle? And to make things more complex, then what does it mean when we're saying that the Avos kept the Torah? Is, is it not the physical book? Is Torah something that goes beyond the pages? Um, what's What's going on here when it comes to this very... Um, vague word that's very, very important um, and very fundamental to us. In this weekly portion, we have the giving of the Torah, Parshat Yitro. Uh, God gives us the commandments, and it's super, super cool. Um, so this is this is how, when really the we can say the conception of the Torah that we have today comes from, or maybe not. Again, it all depends on how we're how we're defining Torah. So having put all those things out and confused everybody a little bit, we can start uh, clearing things up a bit. Okay. Well, the the treatment of the giving of the Torah, the Ten Commandments, is introduced with something that's strange, and that's what we want to start our discussion with. The We all associate the portion of the Torah that the commandments are given in this great revelation to mankind and to particularly the Jewish people at that time, just recently um, escaping or leaving um, in miraculous form, the, the Egyptians behind, leaving Egypt behind, and even having to face war along the way with Amalek. And all those big moments, the crossing of the, the Red Sea, we're faced with a parsha where it seems to be that we're led to believe from the from the Torah itself that this is the moment where we've all been waiting for. This is the point of the exit and the uh, exodus from Egypt. It's to be able to form ourselves positively as a nation, not just because we're escaping some other um, persecution or we're in an adverse situation, but we're actually have a definition as a nation, and the definition of the nation comes from the introduction 
to the giving of the Torah, the giving of the uh, this revelation to on Sinai to the Jewish people. There's an introduction to it, and there's an introduction to the introduction. And we're going to make passing um, comments about the introduction, but we're really going to talk about the introduction to the introduction, which is a very minor story, which seems to creep up here on purpose in the course, in in between these big, big moments in our history to another big moment, which is the, the moment of the revelation of Sinai. And we're, we're stuck trying to figure out why is it that we have this minor story. And this minor story is none other than the story of Yitro. Okay, there's an introduction to the introduction, which is that when the story starts unfolding of the revelation of Sinai, it involves a couple of days of conversations between uh, Moses, between Moshe and Hashem and God. And in those conversations, God is telling Moses, like, what the point of the Torah is, right? There's like a little bit of a, of a, recapitula- of a capitulation of what has gone on until now. Like God says, I took you out on the wings of the eagles from, from Egypt to bring you here to me. And now I'm going presenting to you to present to the people. Um, a way of becoming Mamachet Konim Vigoy Kadosh, of becoming a holy nation, uh, becoming a priestly nation. Um, and these are the things that you need to tell the Jewish people so that they should know what they're getting into. Right? Those, okay. are, those are words of introduction. And, and the introduction is the, the commandments. We're saying... That's the, that's the introduction. And then the and thing the, itself is that when the actual revelation starts happening, where the, the people of Israel are there under the mountain in one form or another, observing this revelation go on of the Ten Commandments. Okay. That's, that's the Papa, as we say, right? That's the, that's the main, that's the main course. That's the main, <laughs> that's the main course, right? And they have this introduction where, where, like I just described, and then before all that goes down of, uh, of you know, the shuttling back and forth of Moses, Moshe going to Hashem and Hashem telling Moshe to go to the people and tell them this and tell them that, and then the people ultimately accepting on themselves willingly this the the the, the revelation, knowing that the revelation is going to imply the belief, the, not only the belief but the uh, acceptance of a of uh, of what God has to say to them. Right? It's you know, God saying, "What I'm going to present to you is going to transform you forever, and it's going to make you into a nation, a special nation." So they have to accept that. It can't just be like, it can't be coerced. So all that is interesting and noteworthy and to talk about some other time. But we want to focus on the story that's behind that story, which is the story of Yitro, which means just forgetting like the introduction. I'm calling it introduction to introduction because the way the portion reads is that we first start start with the story of Yitro, who is Moshe's father-in-law. And um, and, it, and 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 in the way it's presented in this portion, it's like it's it's already strange. Like, why is it stuck in this week's parsha? You know, where we're talking about the revelation at Sinai. But just from a also just from a, just a general view, even if it wouldn't be stuck in this week's parsha, it's stuck in the middle of like major stories. And like, it seems to be a very incidental, non-important story. Mm-hmm. It's a story where where Yisro comes and he says. He sends a, a message to Moshe, um, 
Um, first, it starts, start, starts with Moshe, his father-in-law Yitro reacting. He says he hears everything that had happened to the Jewish to the people of Israel since they left Egypt, and uh, including like the major events, the crossing of the sea, and the destruction of their enemies, and the destruction of the new enemy of Amalek, and and all of the miracles and the plagues and such and he's very um, he's very personally inspired and moved by all of that that he hears and he comes with Moses with Moshe's family right he comes with his family his family because his family was with him I think that's so crazy <laughs> I was like going to mention it but I was like maybe it would be too much of a rant but I think that's so crazy <laughs> that his family wasn't there yeah that his wife the, and kids and were the not kids there. were just chilling right. with the in-laws. And it's almost as if if Yitro wasn't like, oh, that's cool. Let's go like tell Moses how cool that all was. They would have just chilled in in Midian. Where, where were they? Well, in, they I don't know. Chilled what we, there I'm, I'm not saying that. I don't, I'm not saying that uh, if it wasn't for this, he wouldn't have brought them back. I mean, he. That's what it sounds like. It sounds like they were just there though, and Moshe had, like crossed the sea and everything, and left no, them there. No, no, but you're implying that. If it wouldn't be that, that Yitro was inspired, he wouldn't have brought them back. I mean, they belonged with their father. I mean, they were going to come back anyway. The point is that when he was bringing them back, it says when? that before... Huh? When would they have gone back? That's the part of the problem. It, I don't think the fact that Moshe's children and his wife coming back to him would have been really um, noteworthy. I don't think it would have made the pages of the Bible, that story itself. The point is, is that um, Yitro is the is the figure here, right? He's the figure, and he says, "I'm bringing my." And he sends a, a, a message to Moshe, you know, if you're not going to come out because of me, you know, I understand you're really busy and everything, you know, <laughs> but um, if you're not going to come out and receive me, maybe you should, you know, because I'm bringing your children after all, and your, you know, and your wife, and maybe you'd come out and receive me, right? And then, of course, Moses goes out and, and receives them, and he. And they and they talk, but there's only a conversation between him and, and Yitro and his father-in-law. And that conversation is of mutual recognition, and they have a they have a feast together. And Aaron and all the leaders of the Jewish people, you know, sit and have a, this special meal with him. And and then it seems to be like the next day things proceed, and Yitro starts observing what Moses is doing. And he sees like the people, you know, clamoring to get uh, some attention from from Moshe, right? Asking him questions. So that already rings the rings up the idea that the certainly one position in the Talmud is is that this whole story of Yitro coming back, and this is going to rattle you even more, was even after the giving of the Torah. I heard that. Right, so that's a that's a conversation in the Gemara and the Talmud of, of whether or not the story actually took place after Matan Torah. It would seem to the simple reading of the text would mean, yes, that it was after Matan Torah, because the reason why people are asking Moses and you know clamoring to see him to speak to them is because now they have this revelation they have to deal with and they want to know like what are they supposed to do. I right? think the text is something like they asked him questions about God and His Torah. Chukei Elokim, right? It says the statutes. Vitorato, yeah, <clears throat> So it says, um, these are things that they're coming to ask. So it would indicate that there are actually rules, and there's actually laws, and there's inspiration and leadership that needs to. The people want to know what, you know, how how to be, how to proceed. 
So there's a lot of that going on, which basically our way of understanding is that Moshe is teaching all day. He's, he's teaching, he's informing. He, you know, there's a lot of teaching that needs to be going on for a, a, a you know, recently born nation that's is just getting their, you know, basic training. And Yitro says, you know, I don't like this. Uh, what, what are you doing, doing all the teaching? You need to just, you need to delegate. And the idea of delegating, you know, and to split up the people into groups and thousands and to however, whatever the point is, is that you need to delegate and, and, and give over, um, the, you need to delegate to others who in turn can teach the Jewish people exactly what it is that they need to know. And then if there's something that gets beyond them, they can come to you, right? So... So whatever the merits of that argument are, or, the, or whatever the merits of the, what exactly he was saying and why Moses didn't want to do it to begin with, or at least he was reticent to do it, um, were accepted, and and that and, and actually, you know, Moshe changes course, so to speak, and he takes the, his father-in-law's idea and he implements it. Now that. That is a big thing because it's somebody that's coming from out of the community, so to speak. It's not only out of the community, but he's even considered to be, especially if he comes after the giving of the Torah, he's considered to be the first gear, officially, the first convert. So he's a person who we read carefully his story and what inspires him and how he was accepted to the Jewish people um, after the giving of the Torah. Because he is a convert, and he's not only a convert, and we're interested in his his acceptance and how he's accepted, but we're also interested in how did he make these innovations? Like, what, you know, all of a sudden he's coming into a new community and making innovations and coming up with his own thoughts, almost as if, like, this is what I think. And, you know, at one point in the story he says, like, if you do what I'm telling you to do, then this thing, this whole enterprise is going to work. And if you don't, I think it's going to fail. He's very, very strong with his lashon, with his yeah, he's wording. A, he's like, he's you're, like you're going to turn into like a carcass. <laughs> he says, if God, he says, if God, Navaltibol, right? He, he says, if God, you know, confirms what I'm saying, then great. And if he doesn't, well, you know, this is not going to turn out well. Which I guess is maybe a starting point of, of what our issue is over here is that, first of all, I mean, the major issue we're bringing up is what, in the world. Why are we reading about the story as like an introduction to the giving of the Torah? What does it have to do? What does it teach us about the nature of Torah? Especially if we're saying that it, the Torah was given before and this happened after, but it was still placed before. Right, right. In the order. Exactly. And also, what um, this last saying that we, we just said, you know, if God confirms what I'm saying, then things will work out. If he doesn't, well, I don't know. You know, I don't see this ending well. Right? Like, isn't that like kind of um, contrary to our imagination, to what we imagine to be the correct attitude in general, like Nasev and Ishma, which is the Jews' acceptance of the Torah itself, which was Nasev and Ishma. We're going to do, you know, the Torah. We're going to unflinchingly obey the words of the Torah. Um, and... Um, you know, it's complete obedience. It's, it's submission to Hashem, to God, and 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 Yitro is a convert, and he's coming and saying, like, look, you have to do this. He's trying to make an innovation in a place where it would seemingly, on the surface, doesn't seem to be the 
his place. And not only that, but his innovation is he exclaims, like, like I'm so sure I'm right. Like, you know, God, I hope God goes along with it. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So that you can move into action, you know, but I see it. Meaning contrary then would, it's contrary because the one would assume that the attitude would be God will make everything work out in the end. Nasavanishma. No, it's that that's not the approach. The approach is like, um, you know, God needs to command it and then you'll do it. But not like, this is what I see. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I know that you're not going to just do it without God's, you know, okay. So I really hope he does okay it because if he doesn't, <laughs> well, well, what does that mean? I mean, if God doesn't okay it, then that's because it wasn't meant to be. Like, you know, what is, where is the submission you know this 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 idea of where Yitro is coming from doesn't seem to be very reverent. Um, it doesn't seem to be the typical way we understand. You know, converts. You know, what, what is a convert coming into a new community and making innovation and you know making statements like this? Doesn't seem to run consistent with what we assume if you were going into a new community what would you do i mean you'd be a little more humble right you you're looking to become part of something so you keep the rules you be obedient it's strange and this whole story of yitro in general like what is it doing here so that's really where we're going to start it doesn't strike me as so strange actually what the more i think about it what Yitro's suggestion coming out of the blue, especially with that metaphor that you're using about coming into like a community and kind of just wanting to do what's done. I think Dafka, it's new perspective that allows to see for things that other people aren't seeing because you're not part of that thing. We're talking about a nation and a leader who've been through a bunch of stuff together years already and no one's going to start questioning Moses, like, why are you doing this system? <laughs> and Moses, so far, has been leading the nation pretty much single-handedly. So that's just the way it works. And now comes someone from the outside, and he's saying, this doesn't look right. No, I don't have a problem with that. That's not my point. My point is that how does he involve God? If he, if he understands this is a God-driven society, so then God doesn't take a second uh, space. You know, he doesn't take the back seat. He's It's... It's like, ask God if you can do this, you know. Okay, so the it's <clears throat> your your question is more of how come God Yisko saying my idea is good and I hope God runs with it as opposed to being like. Yeah, it's like let, let's talk. Let's try to get a little bit further into this thing because, okay. um, you know what what's what is the classic midrash that says, the midrashic shorts that says that you know God goes around to the world, offers the Torah, so to speak. Right. The Torah is offered to other nations, and the reason why the Torah ultimately is not given to X, Y, Z nation is because the nations make that fatal mistake of saying, well, what's in it? They make it conditional. Right. So so what does that mean? Right. What does that mean to make it conditional? Or as they say, like, well, God, uh, you know, you're really all powerful and stuff, but like, what will you, like, what, what will you got on us here? Like, what are you going to, like, you know. We're not uh, we're not into um, you know getting duped into some laws. So like, tell us what the laws are, and then we'll see if we want to accept it. Whereas the reaction of the Bnei Israel, for whatever reason, however they were able to come to that strength to be able to accept, it certainly indicates 
um, a submission to God. We can put it that way at this point. It's a submission to God, and it's saying, look, God, you're God. So whatever it is, we accept it. We're not going to doubt that whatever you're going to say is the best thing for human beings. So whatever it says, is that's what we're going to accept. So there's a submission there, and therefore that is acceptance of God. It's, if, you're not, if you're not willing to say that, then you don't know who you're really talking to. You don't have that understanding that you're talking to God. But I, I would hope so. I'm saying they just got taken out of Egypt with a bazillion different plagues, and it, the understanding of God that they had at that moment was... I would say significantly greater than any of the other nations mentioned in the. So I'm saying maybe you'll understand that they were conditioned or... to say that, or maybe they were in a better position to say that. But ultimately, their 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 take on what it means to receive Torah is based on the idea of Nasa Benishma. That's those are the famous words. Nasa Benishma. We're going to do. We're going to comply. We're going to obey. Benishma, and then we'll delve into what it means. But ultimately, if you're dealing with God, you have to put yourself in the position of a human being vis-a-vis God, which is only one. You have to realize your shortcomings and your limitations as a human being, and and God is God. Otherwise, it's not a relationship. But that last word is really the key, is where we want to go with this. It's, it's about a relationship that is certainly missing when somebody says, look, I want to create a relationship with you, and you say, well, wait a second, what are the terms? Right. What are the conditions? What does it say? So there's not a blind um, desire to get into the relationship itself. It's more of like, well, if it's good for us, then, you know, we'll be willing to talk. So that is the is really the beginning of, of the idea that we want to bring out today. I think that there's a general uh, message that's being communicated here about our approach to Torah. Which is, which is trying to tell us, and we'll try to bring it out in different ways, that um, you know, the world is filled with, um, and this is going to sound a little counterintuitive, <clears throat> um, especially for us today and the way we're conditioned to think about Torah, but the world is filled with people that are truth seekers, so to speak. At least they think, they call it, you know. And they create all kinds of uh, truth seeker, uh, religions. I mean, the, the world is not missing religions. Religions meaning um, things that people are willing to do and sacrifice for because they, you know, they firmly believe in it. Because they believe in it because they think this is the way of enlightenment and truth. Right? They're truth seekers. A lot of people do a lot of strange things in the name of truth seeking. And what I think is what's really going on over here in the Torah in many different ways is being said is that the Torah doesn't present itself as here is the truth. Interestingly enough, there's not even one word for truth that's present in the the entire presentation of the Torah and in the giving of the Torah, right? And then the Ten Commandments, let's say. There's not one word for truth in, the, in it, right? Um, it's It's... It's it's not about it's not about truth as we perceive of truth, which is like an abstraction. It's from reality. It it is trying to reflect and accompany the reality of human life, and human existence, and of existence. But of course, the way humans relate to existence. 
So it's a it's a it's a thing within the relationship, and it's not a thing about the relationship, right? It's not. I can tell you. Tr I can speak to you truths um, that um, you can imagine. Like science is a truth, right? So why is it? What is it a truth? It means it describes a reality, mm -hmm. right? So, but the question is what. You know, the language of science as a description of reality is 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 only the first part of the reality. It's, it's, a, it's a description. Now, what are you going to do with that reality? What are you going to do with that reality is called religion. It's called what Torah is. Torah is how to integrate... The implementation of said reality. How to integrate truths into reality. Mm -hmm. Right? That's what That's what Torah is. So that's what I'm saying. It's within or the context of relationship. It's not like some, uh, it's not some, some theory of relationships, right? Like the truth is, is like this, right? It's the, it's the implementation and the, in the integration, the realization of truth within. And it's much more important for the Torah to talk about the reality within the relationships of all things to each other than to talk about abstract theory, right? So, um, hmm, meaning, okay, in the in the commandments, God doesn't say, God doesn't create, God doesn't make one of the commandments the the truth about His existence in the whole world. Meaning, God doesn't say, "I am the God of the whole world. I created the world," and it's very specific to, as we're saying, the relationship. I, I'm the God who took you out of Egypt. Right. That's a very, that's a good point. That's one of the, one of the points that we wanted to mention here, that the whole uh, preamble to the giving of the Torah, and the first most major, most important statement, because it's like where God reveals Himself to the people. He doesn't reveal Himself to the people as the God who created everything, um, but it's the God who took you out of Egypt. So it's it's already within the structure of a relationship, of a knowing, of a feeling, of a living, the relationship, mm. right? What is Yitro himself? What does he say that he, you know, what what draws him to the, you know, the, who are the ultimate truth seekers in Judaism, interestingly enough, are, are converts. Converts are, are, are drawn to the truth. That's why they convert, right? But it's interesting to note that just like Yitro and other famous converts in the in the Bible, like Ruth, they're not coming like what we would consider to be sometimes in, in naively as like truth seekers, like, oh, they're blown away with like abstract truths. You know, like, let me rationally explain to you God's existence or let me rationally explain to you why the Torah has to be true. Even though those are very often employed as like, ways that we try to talk about Torah and its and its veracity because those are tools that became, you know, in the, in the more intellectual, rational age that we live in, those become the, became the tools to reach out to people. But I think it was short-lived. And I think, um, you know, those, those methods of like codes, Torah codes or Torah, you know, books trying to explain the rationality of Judaism are necessary, um, but they're certainly not sufficient, right? And... The the conversation of of a, of a convert with Judaism most often will be inspired by certain truths, but most often it has to do with just the way it affects them personally, and and 
and there's a lot of personal expression about how Yitro says that he was personally affected by what he saw. Vayichad Yitro, you know, the, the rabbi's comment, Vayichad, like his skin, you know, got goosebumps. You know what I'm saying? When he heard about the story of the crossing of the of the Red Sea, and he heard about this, and he heard about that, like, he he was amazed that God, that he that he was able to see God, and he was a truth seeker. I mean, he was... Right. A person who, according to the tradition, you know, he had explored every all the religions that there were in the world to explore. He was, uh, let's say, you know, one of those, um, one of those, uh, you know, migrant uh, religions, you know, uh, religion hopper hoppers, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and he, um, and and he says, you know, this this is it. Like I can feel. The presence of God here. This is where I can feel it. There's very personal type of expression, and of course, this is um, gives sheds light on the story being actually in um, this parsha as the introduction to the giving of the Torah, because it's kind of warning, warning or teaching us about what the approach to Torah needs to be. If you are going to approach to the Torah as if it's like you know uh, some kind of a truth as if you would learn science truth you know like this is the description of reality um it's you're going to be off base you're going to be finding a lot of things that you're not going to be able to answer like this story for example <laughs> you know what i'm saying you you can say well there's this moral to learn and you know we can learn this lesson and that but it's never going to answer like why you know why is it here <clears throat> it's never going to answer to you a lot of other things that appear in the Torah um, that seem to be superfluous, that just has to do with the life of the Jewish people and the way the um, the way God and Moses and the leadership of the, of the Torah, in the Torah, react to what's going on at that particular time. Right? There's a lot of things in the Torah that you say, like we're going to come after, and very soon we're going to read about the building of the Mishkan the building of the tabernacle. So there's a lot of space given to the building of the tabernacle, which you're kind of wondering, like, what is that? And if you don't if you don't believe in some kind of an esoteric tradition, it's very hard to understand what is the importance of that whole thing. Right. And ultimately, I think the, the beginning of an approach is to, to, to understand is that we're not we're not packing what what we would call today, you know, truths into one book. We're, we're packing experiences into one book. We're packing the experiences of the Jewish people because the Jewish experiences of the Jewish people at that time were the most illuminated and most informed by uh, on high, you know, by the spiritual guidance of Moshe and uh, and God, and living the life that they lived and seeing it through the eyes of the written Torah. Is becomes ultimately the inspiration of how to live, you know, the, our reality um, with the truths that accompany it. But it's it's not a direct, you know, it's not a direct, per, you know, pursuit of a truth as if it's some kind of an abstract reality. Um, Can you bring that down a bit more? Yeah. So let's bring out some other points from a different aspect. Um, the the Rambam, you know. Let's say let's go to jump thousands of years. You know, the Maimonides was known to be a, a you know philosopher, rationalist. He was also a doctor. He was a codifier. He was the one who took 
surprisingly enough, until him, there was no one that had taken all of the wisdom and knowledge of the Torah and codified it, right, and created a code of law, right? And not only did he create a code of law, but he also um, structured a lot of the philosophical thinking of the Torah. Now, where the first question is, where was it before him? Right? Why? Why isn't it clearer? Why is it? Why is it kind of organic? All of this wisdom literature and wisdom teaching. What, where is it? Clearly, the Rambam felt that it was necessary for him to do that at his point in time, but he wasn't questioning how come it wasn't there before. And the reason why is because a live organic tradition functions that way. It's live. It's not. It's it's hard to codify something um, unless it's absolutely necessary to codify it. Because it's like saying, it's like if you walked into my house and you saw on the wall a list of rules and expectations of how you're supposed to act in my house. What would you feel? I mean, it's not very warm. It's not, it's not just not warm, but it's like, it's not real, real. You can't codify like, behavior in such a way that's stagnant. It's, it's got to flow. It's got to mend. It's got to be flexible. It's got to adapt, right? What's amazing about our, the system of the Torah is that the principles of the Torah are actually adaptable and movable, and that's why it's been worked on by thousands and thousands of great people over the generations, and there's been thousands and thousands of books written on, on, on such issues because it's all about how can we make this adaptable and relevant now. That is the job of all the, the leaders of every generation since Moshe. And Moshe himself was doing it within the Torah. He's like, you know, he also had situations where, like, he had to confer and he had to decide and he had to. It wasn't like, well, rule book, you know, says that the law 24A in this case. I mean, that's not everybody knows that there's always um, the need to attempt to to concretize law, but then there's the, and then there's jurisprudence. You know, then there's the need to apply law, to apply principles and axioms and and philosophies and understandings and attitudes to life. And it's that part that's the most principal part, which we, we would say is the Torah Shabbat, the oral law of the Torah. That part is is the living part, that's most living, right? And the, what I want to say with the Rambam is that when the Rambam talks about our approach to Torah, he says that a person should be inspired to do the truth because it's true. And the way he he qualifies that statement of doing the truth because it's true, he says it's like he says it's like um, when you're infatuated with a woman. He says like you know you 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 think about her all the time, whether you're eating, whether you're sitting, you're walking, whatever it is that you're doing. Right? It's, a, it's a love, it's a, it's a deep love that you create for yourself through your process. And, and the, the more you think and you, the more you experience, the more you love. And it's a very romantic statement made by you know, the, the pure rationalists, but he ultimately is coming down to the fact that, that um, th this isn't a clear-cut type of religion where you do this and you do that. It's it's the love of the search for truth. It's not the having of the truth. 
It's that you are guided by truth to find more and more truth. But in the moment that you say that you have it is the moment that we don't trust you. So that's itself a very important lesson. Um, you have to be aware of the, you know, those that are, seem to always claim that they're in possession of the, tr the whole truth, <laughs> you know, without any humility. I mean, Moshe himself is known to be the greatest leader because of his humility. Right. He understands that even though he's in direct contact with God, life itself is an infinite amount of variables that you need to be humble in front of in order to be able to translate and to adjust and to apply still with the essence of what it is that you're being taught to new and different and varied situations. So, for example, here, let's keep going. So, there's an amazing, it's, it's even a rough uh statement in the Gemara in, in the Talmud that says that if a person would study Torah in front of an ignoramus, it's as if it's as if he's raping his fiance in front of his eyes. Um, as the Torah says, Torah Tzivalanu Moshe, Morasha Kilat Yaakov, that the Torah is given to the Jewish people as a Morasha. Now, Morasha is an inheritance, but it also, with a play on words, like a, a Morasha is like a, a betrothed. Mm. Right, the Torah is given to us as a betrothed one. Right? So if a person, so let's say you imagine that relationship where a person is betrothed to marry. So what? Why are why are they picking this example? Because it's um it's all about the expectation of of getting, of loving, of right. You understand? It's that that anticipation. Mm -hmm. So if a person doesn't pursue that relationship, that's called like the ignoramus. Right, the ignoramus is like the person who's within this, you know, has this wonderful person that uh, he's about to marry, but he doesn't do anything about it. He doesn't inquire. He doesn't want to know about her. He, he doesn't send her gifts. He doesn't look to enhance or deepen the relationship anyway. He's just like going through the motions. Now, what would happen if a person would come along and start romancing that woman, sending her flowers and talking? I mean, he would feel totally violated right mm -hmm. so so in this unbelievably poignant way the chazal the rabbis are trying to tell us that when when you study torah and that you're getting to know more and more intimately the truths of and the ta the, t the teachings of the of the wisdom of the torah in front of somebody who's ignorant of it and, and consciously ignorant of it he thinks that you're raping his betrothed right because he knows that this is for him Right, but he he just ch chose to take the uh, he chose to take the indifferent, apathetic road. But then why is it? Then I'm not sure why it's considered as if you're taking someone else's woman. I'm saying we're talking about some, if 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 he's a, an ignoramus by choice, then why would it be considered that I'm? Because yeah, because the, something the, from him. Because the rabbi because the rabbis are trying to teach us that Torah It's it's in the consciousness of the Jewish people that they were given the Torah, and this is the the story that we read in this, in this parsha that it was given for all generations, and there is a connection of t between the people of of Israel and the Torah. It just is. It's our, the definition of the people. If you're defined by something and you choose not to explore it, and then somebody makes a 
whole deal out of it and shows how beautiful it is and how illuminating it could be and, and enriching. And you're just sitting there and you know it's part of your identity, but you chose not to get involved. So why, I don't see how that translates into feelings of betrayal or someone taking something that was yours. You chose not to, not to get involved. Okay, but the part that you're not, either you don't want to see it or you, or you don't see it in your own experience is that if that person is betrothed, so then he's not going to be indifferent to what somebody does with his betrothed. Right. He's there. Now, you might want to question and say, well, I don't see any Jews today that really feel that they're in any way connected to the Torah. So whatever you do with the Torah is not going to matter to them. Is that possible? Yeah, I guess it's possible. I guess you could have Jews that are so, so far removed from, from the identity and what it means to be Jewish, then they have absolutely no idea what you're talking about. But in the rabbi's time, when they were, talk, when they were talking about a basic understanding, and in Amar Aretz was a person who was, he, you know, for whatever reason, he didn't, you know, he's not capitalizing on this great spiritual opportunity that he has. So if somebody comes along and is like totally enjoying it, he almost feels that you're violating him because you're stepping in on something that really should have been his, but he never did it. He never capitalized on it. And it also belongs to him. I understand the idea. I guess I'm just struggling with feeling like why should someone who's not investing in something then suddenly feel like he's being robbed of an opportunity that he didn't take. But I, I understand it that in concept. never happens to you? I mean... No, I, that's what I'm saying. I understand it in concept, but when it when it comes to the coming down of it of responsibility, I don't, I don't, like, I don't... You can see it in this way. Like a lot, a lot of times, a lot of times, the, what helps me understand a little bit of uh, in, um, you know, hatred amongst our, our own people, in the name of religion, you know, or in the name of anti-religion, a lot of time has to do with this. Like, don't you define me, you know, with your, you know, there's a certain amount of jealousy there that, like, if if a person is living a a, a, a honest, you know, earnest, um, religious life. They're capitalizing on on a great, you know, um, wellspring of happiness and guidance and spirituality and connection that that another that we all want. So if you have somebody who's not capitalizing on it, and he's looking at you who is, and not only that, but you're 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 living a very vibrant life and you're making statements like you know this is this and this is that and you can do this and you can do that and the Torah says this and the Torah says that. The person, a person who knows that basic uh, definition of, of, of Judaism and Jewish, being Jewish, um, will feel, can sometimes feel like a certain hatred towards you. Because you, it's, it's like a, um, it's like a self-hate. Because I'm not, you know, I'm not really, I, I'm not getting involved in this thing. And and I, I could either choose to hate you or I could choose to like learn from you if I, if I choose to engage. right? So then I'll choose to engage and then I'll get what I can. And then I won't, you know, once I'm involved in, 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 and busy with it, I won't feel any feeling ill feelings towards you. But it's that first moment where sometimes, unfortunately, people take the route of like, eh, these, 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 these religious people, these rabbis and, 
mitzvot and these uh, things, like whoever said and what for and who are they to impose on me and tell me, what, what are they saying basically? They're saying like, you know, don't define who I am. You know, I think this is a historical thing, you know, between uh, the Jewish people that once was or whatever. But anyway, we're getting lost in a different point. But what I'm trying to bring from this Gemara, from this Talmud, is that the idea of like it's it's a rape of of a betrothed means that it's really a relationship, that there's a relationship that's there that needs to be explored. It's not, nobody would say, um, well, anybody can learn biology or physics, and somebody who learns physics and somebody in front of somebody else who's also very smart, it's like he's, you know, violating his betrothed, you know, his fiance. Like nobody would ever say such a thing because the, the, the knowledge of, of physics is a science that is neutral. It's, it's not about relationships. It's about describing what there is. Right? Going back to just the truths, objective truths. Right. So, but, but about Torah is not that way. It's very personal. It's very personal. It's about what you do with it. Right? It's about how it can help your reality. Right? And how you can understand reality and, and the complex interrelationship of things and relationships, right? So, you know, like we said, Ruth, Yitro, the famous converts in the Bible and in, in the Tanakh are all coming forward with this thing. It's based on relationships, right? Their, their, their connection to people, a connection to, to things that make them feel um, connected, so to speak, are those things that ultimately is enough for us to accept them, right? And there's, if you look even in the strict laws that are written about accepting converts, unfortunately, these things have become so uh, secularized, so to speak. You know, it's like almost, um, well, you have to pass a test, you know, and if you know a lot of stuff about Judaism, so we'll accept you, right? That's not the point. That's not really the spirit of, at all of what the law says. The law says that if a person comes and he says, convert me, and, and we say to him, well, you know, Jewish people have been persecuted and oppressed, and it's not fun being Jewish. You know, it's not one of those things that's like, you know, kef. You know, you're going <laughs> to, it's hard, and it's, you know, and you still want it? And the person says, yes, I want to become part of you. I want to be what you, I want to be I want, like you. I want to be, I want to have like what you have, right? The, the, the Gemara literally says we accept them on the spot. Then, once he's accepted, then we teach him. Well, you know, there's laws and there's fundamentals of Judaism. It's like the story of Hillel, the famous story of Hillel. You know, where he comes to Shammai. Shammai was like the more intellectual bent. And he's, you know, he, the convert says, okay, I want you to convert me when I'm standing on one foot. So one of the, one of the scholars says, look, I don't have time for you. You just, you know, if you, if you want to learn hard, you know, like take tests and <laughs> know a lot of stuff and whatever, then we'll see, right? And Hillel says, okay, he says, I'll tell you when you're standing on one foot. All things that are objectionable to you, do not do to your friend. The rest is commentary. And that's enough. That's the whole Torah. Right? And Rashi, interestingly, says, who's the friend that he's talking about? All that's objectionable to you, don't do to your friend. Of course, it refers to a regular flesh and blood friend. But it also refers to God. Of all places, right? Rashi marshals some pasuk that says in Proverbs that says that God is also a friend. He's a rea. Mm. Don't let, he's the, your friend and the friend of your fathers. Don't let him down. 
Right, so the context again of 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 the Torah is seen in a, in a sense of like being it's like a friendship, it's a relationship. Um, you know, Yitro himself has many different names because he's had so many varied and wild experiences in his life. But some of his names that are very um, important to mention now, one of them is Chever, a friend, right? One of them is Ru'el, like a friend of God, Rea of Kale, right, a friend of God. And finally, um, one of the great statements of the Gemara in the Talmud says that even greater than the study of Torah is the Shimush of those that represent Torah, which is the learning by example from people who exemplify the values and the principles and the attitudes of, of the Torah. That's much better and stronger and more... Uh, the spirit of what it means to learn than to actually learn things, you know, learn more abstract ideas. It's better, it's more important, it's more uh, um, higher level of learning to actually learn from a living example. Hmm. So what we're saying over here is that, I mean, there's a lot of things to take away from here, but one of the things is that, you know, a lot of, a lot of ink has been spilt on books in books about the comparison between science and Judaism and the idea of um, reconciling, re reconciling um, science with Torah and things like that. And I really think that, I think they're complementary, but I don't think they need to be reconciled at all. I think they're speaking different languages and the language of Torah is the language of relationships and life and reality as we know it realities you know it in those relationships mm -hmm. and the and the language of, of science is just describing the physical reality and and you can get very deep in describing the physical reality and it's really nice and it's really important and it's it's very illuminating but if the if science today discovers that there was a big bang and they think that there was a big bang so you know if you if you think if you've gone through it and you think that there's something compelling about it wonderful the Torah doesn't have to speak that language. The Torah is not speaking that language. The Torah is in the beginning of Bereshit. It's not giving you a, a master class on biology and microbiology and physics and astronomy. And astro it's just not. It's it's not. That's not what it's there for. If it was, it would be a huge failure. Because if you're going to tell me, well, it's a code, you know, so that you know one person in every generation gets down to it. Like I, I don't. I don't that's it's not. It's really not. It's it's about fundamentals of life. It's about how to understand life. And to understand life, apparently, we need to know that God created the world. And we need to have a story that's told us about what was created and how it was created to the extent that the Torah wants to tell us. But the Torah is the pursuit of the understanding of life. Life, and with a capital L. It's not the description of XYZ physical phenomena. Right, and it's. I think it's very important, and it's. It's not a limitation, really. It's just a different language. It's. A, it's a different thing. It's. It's the false. It's like the holistic way of looking at things. You look confused. But it's. Um, I'm digesting. Yeah. I'm digesting. Well, um, we have to wrap it up. But but the, one of the other things that happens to us is because we've become so distant, and like I think. I think um, there's a certain amount of impersonal um, attitude towards 
relationships in general and sense of community and sense of, um, you know, we live very isolated lives today in a very paradoxical way, even though, you know, all technology should really be bringing us together, but it gives us also the ability, and because of the wealth of the world today, it gives us the ability to live really alone. And because of that, you know, things have become much more secularized in a sense, even religion. So a lot of times, you know, the discussion about religion seems to be like this kind of half-hearted thing to say that within religion you can find, you know, some really cool objective and abstract truths. And because that would be the only compelling thing, like, that would be the only reason you'd want to be part of a religion is if it's true. Yeah. That's the basis. I mean... It, and it, and that is true, but the thing is, what? How do you characterize that truth, right? Like, uh, I want to bring it down, like very to a very simple level. Like, uh, you know, I've given a lot of a lot of classes over the years, and I have to admit that, um, to the extent that it's compelling to people, is to the extent that there is a feeling that there's a personal relationship and a personal lifestyle that's being conveyed, but it's not about a master class. It's not about getting up there and wowing everybody with amazing facts or insights. It's about the personal feeling, the personal connection that people can feel to what it is that you're saying, which of course is helped not only by the class, but also people need to view, observe, just like Ruth in the, in the Bible, in the Tanakh, she observes her mother-in-law, she observes her family. And when she observes that family, she says, that's what I want. That's inspiring because that's life. That's the life that I want. That's a true life. When Yitro also sees the world, he's also inspired by that. And that, that ultimately is very, very um, praiseworthy to be able to recognize that and to be inspired by that. Talks about a special person. But it's not to be put down as if, like, well, what do you know about Judaism? Like, let's, do you know that do you know how to do this on Shabbat? You know, like, you know, like what? There are a lot of laws that are there to guide us, but that's it's you're not going to create the connection from that. The, the connection, the connector is going to be about connecting to life itself, right? The way of life, uh, the guidance of life. Uh, the reality of interrelationships, how to live life. Okay. I guess, <laughs> just like looking at you a little bit yeah. wide-eyed here, I guess what I'm trying to, to put together in my mind in a simple way, um, just to link all the pieces together, um, is that we believe that what we're saying here is that when we're, when we're asking the question of what what is Torah, we're not referring to the physical five books of Moses or even necessarily to um, the whole Tanakh, the the the, the Chumash and the Nach and the Ketuvim or whatever. We're, we're referring to. Don't frame the question. What is it? Because that's a very. What is our approach to it? That's. Okay. I'm not coming to define, like I said, if, like I told you before, if, if you look up on Google, what is Torah, you'll find, well, there's the revelation of Sinai and then, and you know, the written Torah and the oral Torah and the, 
it looks like this, you know, it's a Mishnah, and it's a Talmud, and it's a, a you know, five books of Moses, and the you know, that's what it is. That that's the shell of it. Now, is this, that that's those are those are what you can point to. But now, what's your approach to that? Like, what are you doing when you engage in that? What are you after? Mm -hmm. and I just find that what what we know is truth. When we say the word truth, truth itself for human beings has to be tempered with like connection. That the only absolute truth is God, and even our understanding of God's absolute truth is very limited. So we need to. Follow the truths in order to reach God closer and closer as you know as we get wiser and wiser. But it's, you don't you never you never have it. You never have the truth. Right? right. Every every bit of wisdom and truth is always followed by another truth. Right. It's infinite. Right. Just like God is infinite, and God is likened to the idea of truth. God, you know, the Rama very often calls God truth. Mm -hmm. So what you're saying then is that the approach to Torah is is one of almost how you were describing almost this romantic desire to come closer to something that is beloved in this case God by by doing more by learning more and by um, think about the word in Spanish aplicar um, oh. applying. The, the truths that are in relation to us into our daily lives, which expresses itself in a lifestyle, in, in modalities, in the way we relate to other people, which is what you're saying then about Yitro, which is about seeing how other people live the truths of life and, and kind of being enamored with that reality. Right. A person, a person who's living, let's say, a life of Torah, you should look at it and go like, wow, that is... That's an enlightened, happy, um, joyful, uh, expansive lifestyle. You know that's in, enriching those people that are following it in a way that like is very exemplary. Mm -hmm. If if we don't feel we're living that way, we're really not living according to the Torah. I, I feel a person could do all kinds of things <clears throat> in this life of of learning Torah. But they don't feel um, at all. Um, I don't know if the word is they don't feel. Sometimes the people don't feel that way because they don't have a contrast to, 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 to know what else there is because they're very insulated. But at some point in time, a person has to make the reflection, self-reflection of like what it is about it that's connecting them to something beyond, you know, their, their way of life. And unfortunately, I think we see... Um, the parade, the masquerade, actually, of a Torah lifestyle for things that are not really very exemplary in a Torah lifestyle. <laughs> you can live the shell of a Torah lifestyle, but you will, your life will not exemplify a Torah lifestyle because it just doesn't, it's, it, it, it wouldn't be anything that anybody would be interested in. Because there's no, there's no, there's nothing real behind it. You're because, just because, going through it without connecting. Because let's say connecting. people are miserable. I mean, I'm not talking about people that have depression or you know some kind of a ailment, you know, mental ailment. I'm talking about regular people that you know that uh, are living a lifestyle that they wouldn't inspire anyone. 
I, I think it's not that we're living a life to inspire other people, and that's the litmus test if it's true or not. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying at some level, somebody who, who would absolutely who know the real truth about you and the way you live life with an open mind would say, like, wow, that's something. Not only they're living the life of, of you know, I, with their, their ideals and their commandments and the thing, but look at what it does to them. Look at what it does to the dynamic of their family. Look at what it does to their priorities in life. Look how it guides them to seek truth and to connect. Right? Ultimately, you know, this is what the real gayrim are attracted to. This is what a real convert is, is attracted to. They see real of uh, ex live examples of what it means to live life and and they're not coming by because they say oh well here are these miserable people <laughs> that are promised you know the next world so i guess i want to jump on that bandwagon and that's exactly what we tell them that's what the gemara says what the talmud says a person comes and says you know i want to be think we tell them look you might be inspired by some kind of thing that you know shot to you know you know some truth but just look at us we're downtrodden, we're oppressed, we're persecuted. It's not fun. So the person who sees that has to say, well, it's true, but I see you who's persecuted, downtrodden, oppressed, and I see the richness of your life that you're living in exuding that I can feel. That's what I want. Mm -hmm. So... So in a nutshell, what we're saying is that the approach to Torah is an approach of life, to make it really simple and really... Right, it's the wisdom of life. It's the wisdom of life in all of its aspects, but, but it's, not a, it's not a biology book. It's not would, science. It's not science, and you shouldn't treat it as science. Would it be too extreme or maybe even too superficial to say that the litmus test to living Torah would be the the uh, result resulting in in people exuding life right there's like this whole there's this saying that goes around a lot in, in seminaries and i'm sure in yeshivas in different places if you if you're not happy doing something in the torah then you're not doing it right yeah i mean it could be the person's just not awake or they're not being conscious and it could be the person has a problem with being conscious of things that they do in general even if you put them in barbados you know with a you know, full paid vacation for three years, you know, and the, the person wouldn't be able to appreciate it because they just don't know what it means to connect to their situation and they don't know how to look at things. I mean, there's, there's a lot that has to do with the personal aspect, but the Torah can't save everybody from themselves, ultimately. You know, it's a guide. You, you know, you need parents. <laughs> you need parents that have good disposition to raise children. You know, there's a lot of things that are involved. The Torah can guide parents, you know, the Torah can tell you, you know, what's ultimately with the, with the traditions and the of thousands of years of, of wisdom of thinking about these things, we should be the wisest at how to live. That's what I'm saying, because it's a, it's a live, organic tradition about living, living in the best way. And it's, and it's a live, organic tradition of living in the best way because it is the implementation of truth. Yes, because then it's the implementation of what God wants to give mankind, which is living well. And I don't mean living well like, you know, Martha Stewart, living well. Because those things need a definition. What they call, what the world calls living well is not what we call living well. That's part of what Torah means. 
It means focusing on the real parts of life that are transcendent, that are spiritual, and living it in a way that you realize what it is that you're doing and you're conscious of it. And ultimately that gives you you know, it gives you in this world and the next world, you the, the continuity of your soul is a reflection of how of what it is that you've been able to understand and grasp in this world. That's a separate talk, <laughs> That's but, huge. Yeah. But it's not about it's not like a zero sum game. It's like, you know, here you do these things or or nothing works. It's like, no, you can really like we said last week, you can have your cake and eat it. Like you just have to know how to do it. You have to know how to make the cake. How to eat it. Well Yeah. <laughs> I think we've been we here have a while. to we have to wrap up, but that was that was complex and solid and leaves leaves a lot to think about. So leaving off with that, everybody have a blessed week and we will be back next week. Thank you all very much. Goodbye.